0: What are we going to talk about? <laughs> it's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis.
1: And I'm Sky David. Have you come down from your legislative high?
0: I have, but I have to admit, in the days right after session, I kind of hit the wall Friday after we left the General Assembly, I did a lot of sleeping. I am coming out of it now. Of course, the Fourth of July—that was a, a nice distraction. But now I'm just kind of in this mode of evaluating what happened and seeing what's going to happen over the next few months because it looks like, Sky, we're really not adjourning in the typical way. We usually adjourn short session.
1: So we were hearing these rumors, and we—I guess not rumors. Senator Berger and Speaker Moore were saying, when we leave, we're leaving. We're not coming back. And the Speaker said, you know, in December, and Senator Berger said, when we leave, we're not coming back until next year. And that's not exactly what the adjournment resolution
0: said. We are going to be back in session. Now, it remains to be seen whether we're doing work or not, but we will come back into session on July 26th, August 23rd. September 20th, October 18th, November 15th, and December 13th. There will be business if there are vetoes, and I think that July 26th session is probably a working session, because all indications are that the governor is going to have some objections to at least one bill. That would be the ICE detainer bill that we talked about last week. We don't know if he's going to veto the budget. By the way, we're recording on Thursday afternoon, and according to media reports, the governor might be taking an option on the budget that allows it to become law.
1: He explicitly said to the media yesterday, you know, you know I have three options to sign it, veto it, or let it become law without my signature, which is not something that folks often talk about. So if he brought it up himself, it feels like that may be the option he's choosing.
0: And so the message there is, yeah, I'm going to let it become law, but I'm really not happy with it,
1: right? Yeah, that's the message. But I think to the average person, they really don't know what that means. Or care. Correct.
0: (laughs) We'll see how that plays out. The budget was submitted to him when?
1: The budget was presented to the governor on Friday.
0: So he has until the 10th.
1: The budget bill is on the governor's desk alongside 36 other bills that were sent to him last week.
0: All awaiting his signature veto or? He just lets it become law. This will have a lot to do again with the General Assembly coming back on the 26th. Of course, we recorded the podcast last week on Thursday. We were all bracing to come back on Friday for a pretty long session. Then something happened.
1: I was sitting outside of the speaker's office. If y'all know us, you know we liked a certain table outside the speaker's office before the House session. And the House was supposed to go into session at 10. And you saw some folks from the Senate come over. Their council was kind of walking back and forth. The House Republicans were in caucus, out of caucus, back in caucus. And you saw the Senate folks moving back and forth. And the Senate had voted on a few things. And it was clear that they were waiting on the House for a few things. And then suddenly, (laughs) the Senate adjourned and went home.
0: Left the House holding a lot of bags over there.
1: Because of that, I think one of the interesting things was that the two adjournment resolutions were different. That's right. Between the House and the Senate. And the House very clearly wanted that adjournment resolution to have the redistricting piece in it for the end of the year. And the Senate didn't want to do that.
0: The House wants to come back and redraw those congressional maps. Senate said no.
1: And the House had no option but to concur with the Senate's adjournment resolution because they had already left by the time the House took it up.
0: Total power move.
1: I know. I have nothing but respect for it.
0: (laughs) The adjournment resolution outlines what can move forward in these sessions throughout the year or the remainder of the year. What are those conditions?
1: As it pertains to substantive legislation, the only... Bills that would move forward would be conference reports, and it appears there are only four conference reports that are still in play. And also a couple other things, election laws. You had asked about a bill, how it got filed a few weeks ago, and I said, oh, that's because it's election-related. Those bills can come up at any time.
0: So usually the week of July 4th, or at least this has been recent history, we celebrate the 4th kind of take off the week, at least as it pertains to North Carolina politics. But this week, Wednesday specifically, we got some news that was kind of surprising, I think, to the political world in North Carolina.
1: So a couple weeks ago, when the Supreme Court released their Dobbs decision, which I think most people had expected the overturning of Roe versus Wade and Casey Folks did expect that. But yesterday, the governor announced that he was going to have a press conference on, I think the announcement said, protecting reproductive freedom or reproductive rights in North Carolina.
0: Speaker Tim Moore, Senator Phil Berger, they were very clear in the days after the Dobbs decision, we are not taking up abortion legislation. That is something we're going to do in January The Speaker said that he felt good about getting supermajorities. He did not want to get into a protracted veto showdown with the Governor. So just wait until January. Let's have our November elections, and then we'll decide on abortion policy. But the Governor made a move this week, and he used his power to outline an executive order that he signed on Wednesday at the Mansion, which protects abortion providers, protects state employees who are traveling to other states, and also protects visitors to North Carolina who are seeking abortion services.
1: So we discussed this yesterday, you and I had, we talked to a couple other people about the timing of this move. You know, it's been a couple weeks since Dobbs died down a touch What was the motivation behind this?
0: In my opinion, so I'm watching the event on the internet, and I see a half a dozen candidates behind the governor. And he talked about his power as the governor. He was exercising that power yesterday. But he was also, in his messaging, I noticed he was saying, look, abortion rights and my ability to protect them as governor is only as good as the numbers Democrats get at the General Assembly, meaning he needs voters to protect him from Republican supermajorities. I think we're going to see this from the Democrats. They are going to try to make protecting abortion rights in North Carolina the number one issue. And then we read in the Insider this morning, that a lot of pro-choice organizations have committed an enormous amount of money to states where abortion is going to be on the line. And let's point out, North Carolina is one of the few, I should say, southern states that has abortion rights currently. We have a 20-week law. And that number, by the way, we heard $150 million will be spent by pro-choice groups. That is an enormous amount of money.
1: What's interesting to me is that I read that one of the reporters asked him about supermajorities in the fall. And essentially the governor said, well, I will fight with all I can. Kind of resigning to the fact that, you know, we do expect Republicans to have a good year. And they're going to try to use this issue. Both sides are going to use this issue in the fall
0: the week before the general assembly adjourned we got to sit down with senator sarah crawford and we had a great conversation
1: the do politics better podcast is supported by the north carolina travel industry
0: association founded in 1955 nctia has a distinguished history of partnering with the north carolina general assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in north carolina
1: Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates.
2: Senator Sarah Crawford, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. Glad we're finally doing this.
1: Yes. To start us off, and this will be a little bit different since you're running in the House, but tell us about your current district. Where is your district? Why is your district special?
2: So I currently, in the Senate, represent District 18, which is the north and eastern part of Wake County and all of Franklin County. And I think, you know, I I love this area of the county. I grew up in eastern Wake County and went to middle school, high school there, and it has grown so much. And I think probably my favorite, well this is probably really cliche to say, but the Mm. most special thing about the district are the people. Um, But each of our towns in Senate District 18 have such a unique personality. You've got Nightdale, Wendell, Zebulon, Rollsville, Wake Forest, and then that's all in Wake County. And then you have all these towns in Franklin County that just, they're so unique and they each have their own personality as you go into each of these towns. And like I said, there's so much growth, but There are these small businesses popping up especially in franklin county franklinton you you wouldn't recognize it if you were there 10 years ago
1: you are one of the many people who are not from north carolina but have come to north carolina and made it their home tell us about growing up
2: yeah so i started life in michigan Uh, I can show you on my hand where, um, everyone from Michigan cans, what all (laughs) Michiganers do. And, uh, and we find each other everywhere we go. My husband says, I think you can like smell the Michigan people. Like you guys, (laughs) you sniff each other out. You might want to edit that part out. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but I moved here when I was 11. So, uh, my dad worked for the automotive industry up in, in Michigan. My mom was a teacher, um, actually trying to get a teaching job in, in Michigan. She was a stay-at-home mom for the first several years that we were growing up. My dad found out that they were going to close the plant where mm-hmm. he worked in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and they had already decided they were going to retire to North Carolina. I had an aunt and uncle who were living up in Creedmoor, and we'd been vacationing down here for the the uh, kind of the first three years um, that my aunt and uncle lived here, and my parents said, you know, why don't we just... Move early. We'll just go early, so that's uh, that's exactly what we did. And they uh, they packed us up and moved us to North Carolina, and it was just meant to be. We, um, uh, you know, it was really about building a better life for for our family. My dad needed a good job. My mom needed a good job, and she was a teacher in Wake County for the remainder of her career. And my dad ended up working for the state for um, Division of Water Quality. So right in mm-hmm writing those great permits uh, okay. on behalf of the state. So uh, just really great careers. My brother and I got a great education in eastern White County. And uh, it was really interesting when I first moved here um, when I was 11, and that was in 1992, uh, I, would, I went to middle school. I moved here in the summertime. So I went to middle school, and all these – I'm very extroverted, and so I got, made friends really fast, and all my friends – They would spell words out for me to say because I still had a really Midwestern accent Uh and they'd say, listen, listen to Sarah say this word. Uh And so, you know, I don't know if it was just a survival move or uh, growing up in eastern Wake County where you really did have a lot of folks who were, you know, born and bred North Carolina, North Carolinians, uh, I kind of adopted the accent really quickly
0: yeah, in fact it. I yeah I w-
2: I went back I was um I went back to Michigan about six months after we moved here for the holidays and I was in the mall we were shopping and uh you know I was maybe eleven and a half or so and uh this clerk said oh can I help you and I, I told her no I was just looking and she said where are you from you have the most beautiful accent <laughs> and I thought from here. I'm from Michigan. Um, just, yeah, so I picked it up really quickly. I was, that was also my formative years, so.
0: Yeah. So where in your childhood does the story I heard about you fit in? And that is your appearance on The David Letterman Show.
2: Yeah. I was on the David Letterman show. It's it's the thing I you know when they go around the room they're like tell us something that nobody knows about you. Like, okay. I was on David Letterman. Uh,
1: <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but I'm a star. Yeah,
2: I'm a star. I <laughs> have a story about that too. So um so I was on David Letterman in 1989. I was okay. in first grade, and uh and so we lived in Michigan at the time, and our dogs. And before anybody thinks it, listening, it was not stupid, Petrix. We had our own segment. <laughs> um, I was corrected when I asked the question
0: <laughs> to your husband. He said that's offensive.
2: <laughs> it's a, it's a, it is offensive. Um, so we um, our, our dogs used to play a sport called flyball, which is a relay race for dogs. The sport was invented in the '70s by a guy out in California named Herbert Wagner. It's kind of a a play on scent articles, but they added. A, a ball-loaded box. You can Google it, just Google fly ball and you'll find all, all okay. sorts of videos. But my dad, along with a group of others from the Michigan and Ontario areas, um, popularized the sport and created the North American Flyball Association. Okay. And so if there were a princess of fly ball, it would be me. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> what a statement. <laughs> yeah, princess mm-hmm. of fly ball. Um, but uh we, my dad sent a tape to the David Letterman. Uh, it was late night with David Letterman. That was when he was on NBC. And uh, dad, my dad sent a tape and said, "We'd like to be a guest on your show." And they watched it, and they thought it would be great. So we we loaded up our vans with all of our dogs and all of the flyball equipment and drove to New York City okay. and stayed at the Essex house where the um, the show put us up. And we traipsed in with all of our dogs. So there's four dogs on a team, and then you have to have some alternates. Okay. So we traipsed <laughs> into the hotel with all of our dogs and then walked around New York with all of our dogs. I mean, it was, it was a wild trip, and I was seven or eight years old at the time. How many dogs? Um, well at the time our family had four, but I think total for the show, we probably took 12 wow. dogs. Oh. Yeah. Cause we needed four for the team and then some alternates. So yeah. So we, it, it used to be like when I, you know, I would go to school in middle school and be like, Hey, do you want to show the class my David Letterman <laughs> tape? It was really, really <laughs> weird. So fast forward. Uh, this is a really funny story in 2020 when I was running for um, state Senate. For the second time, uh, I, was, I was in a primary, and I was out knocking doors in Wendell, of all places. Mm. And I knock on this door, and a guy answers. I introduce myself, tell him who I am, what I'm running for. He said, oh, you're trying to be famous. And I said, maybe I already am. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he said, are you? And I said, well, I was on David Letterman. He said, really? What for? <laughs> so I tell him this story. It wasn't as long and re- or elaborate as what I just told you all. And, uh, and he said, well, I know David. And I said, well, who are you? Uh, so it turns out this guy in Wendell, he, um, it's Jeff Altman, and he <laughs> played Huey Hogg on <laughs> Dukes of Hazard. He was Boss Hogg's nephew. Yeah. And uh, he went to comedy school with David Letterman and has been on his show like 28 times.
0: It, that, and he
2: lives in Wendell.
0: In Wendell. hmm Wow. Is there anywhere online, YouTube, where we could see this? Maybe put it in the show links.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, there is. <laughs> okay. It's on. It is. It lives on YouTube. Uh, now, right?
0: It'll be in the show notes.
2: Fast forward. Let's talk about
1: how you decided to get into politics, and maybe about your career, because you are very busy, and deciding to jump into this role seems like a lot to the outside person.
2: Yeah, it it is a lot. <laughs> I don't even way, know what been, else to say. We've been working since <laughs>
0: December to get you on the podcast. We thought, well, she's local, well, relatively local, but your schedule is so full—races, you've got your work, the politics, all of that. Yeah, your dog tricks.
2: My dog, yeah, not stupid <laughs> pet tricks so. though. Whole segment. Uh, you asked a question about getting into politics. Yeah, so I um. You know, I first got involved in politics when I was in college. I didn't come from a super political family. We weren't active in politics. My parents generally knew what was going on and and, um, were informed, but we weren't active. And so when I got in college, I really started to understand the role that government can play and wanted to go work in government. My first uh, uh, job, actually, during college, I worked for Congressman Price, David Price, uh, in his uh, local office, and then after I graduated, I went up to D.C., had never really thought of myself as running for office, but things kind of hit ahead in in 2013. This was um, after the General Assembly uh, flipped from Democrat to Republican. And, uh, you know, I was just seeing a lot of things that I loved about North Carolina that were important to my upbringing here from age 11 starting to fall by the wayside and we actually dan and i talked about moving our kids were not yet in school and we thought well if we're gonna move this Mm. is the time to do it and we had an opportunity in colorado and at the end of the day we decided no we need to we need to double down in north carolina and uh, i didn't really know what that looked like for me but i ended up i got recruited by lillian's list in 20 at the end of 2013 to run for Senate. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, what I know from my previous government work is that when government is working well, it can work really well for people. Mm. And I thought, you know, this is my way of doubling down and had the support of my family. It actually started a little bit as a joke. Um, one Saturday morning in the summertime of 2013, Dan and I were having an argument about who was more likable, who the more likable Crawford was. <laughs> we decided the only way to settle it was to put it to a vote. And uh, so we we posted on Facebook that we were going to run against each other in the Senate 18 primary, mm-hmm. Crawford versus Crawford. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people took us really, they are like, oh my gosh, are you really going to do that? And then we came up with ads about you know, what we each do that's annoying in the house and Mm -hmm. how we were going to attack each other. But we weren't serious, but it put it in people's minds like, oh, maybe, maybe Sarah should run. And so then people started talking. And my initial thought was that seems like really a terrible idea. But like I said, (laughs) the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, no, you know, we need good people to step up and run who care about, Uh, What's happening in North Carolina and and I was really fortunate in 2014 as I am now to have a really supportive work environment supportive Mm -hmm. Family, I mean uh, Dan he's in politics himself. So he he gets it He understood what we were signing up for and my parents live close by I mean they have first right of refusal when it comes to watching their grandkids. Mm -hmm. So that's been really helpful Um, And so yeah, I just decided that I couldn't sit on the sidelines any longer.
0: That 2014 race was a bruiser. Those ads were really tough, and it was unsuccessful that year. That had to come into the calculation to run again, right?
2: Yeah, it always does. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, if you can try ne- to not lose an election, I would recommend it. Right. <laughs> right. But it be Well, have... did you win the
1: ele- the Crawford v Crawford? Clearly you won I that. I mean, clearly, clearly I the, won the Crawford yeah. versus Crawford, right?
2: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it, it you know, I went in, I think a lot of people went into election night in 2014 really believing that I was going to win. I mean, the polling was where it needed to be um we had we had run i think a pretty perfect campaign and we raised and spent about a million dollars my opponent on on his side raised and spent about four million so Mm -hmm. it's hard it's hard to overcome that but i you know, I worked really hard. I think one of the, our ground game was really significant that year. And part of, um, these suburban rural districts is really about showing up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing that I learned, um, in the campaign. And also that's true for serving as well, but yeah, losing, (laughs) losing was hard. Election night was not great Mm -hmm. in our house, uh, that night. So, um, you know, I, I took some time away from, you know, I didn't run again for another six years, but, uh, part of it was I got drawn out of the district okay. that would have made sense for me to run uh, run and I got double bunked with Senator Blue and I wasn't going to run against him. And so uh, when I got drawn back into the district in, in 2019, you know, one of the very first things I did was look at, you know, how much overlap is there in the district that I ran in before Um, what's the opportunity? I really dug into the numbers of where I lost in 2014 to understand, you know, any, anything that I could have done differently and, um, used all that information to figure out how I was going to win in 2020.
0: You're making the transition this coming election. You're going from the Senate to the house. I presume speaking of redistricting, that had to be a factor in that decision.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um redistricting played played the biggest role. I mean, this is not the uh hand of cards I would have dealt for myself if, you know, if I would love to stay in the Senate. I've really enjoyed serving in the Senate. Um uh but effectively got drawn out of my district. I mean, I technically have a district to run in, but there were a couple of factors. One, the district that I got drawn into is almost completely brand new um it cuts out all of eastern wake county all of franklin county and goes north and west in wake and all of granville county it's not a district that i know it's not a district that i grew up in it's just um uh it's not the people that i that i work to try to represent um and we had already recruited a really great candidate mary wills Mm Bodie, in what what we thought was going to be a different iteration of that granville wake district and so when the maps were finally final, I think February 23rd or 24th, I had a big decision to make in, in less than a week of time, roughly, well, a week and two days of time, I think. And uh, at the end of the day, I got drawn into an open house district that um, there still is some new area in it, but it's um, closer to home for me. It's it's uh, close to the area that I grew up in, it's, uh, and, and it allows me to hopefully, come November, continue to serve in the North Carolina General Assembly while also putting the best person in that Granville wake seat um, who can win that election and is from Granville County and can really represent the individuals in that district in a way that I don't think I could.
1: Let's talk about your service in the General Assembly. Many would say that you are a health policy expert, not me. Other people are saying it. <laughs>
2: For all of you listening at home, Sarah Crawford is not a health policy expert. But she I is a like star. Should, I, yeah, but I am famous from when I was seven.
1: How did you become interested in that? Did that start when you worked for Congressman Price or how did that start? And then what other areas are you really interested in?
2: You know, I feel really fortunate in my career to have been um, to have worked with People and for organizations that are really steeped in the healthcare space. So, uh, you know, when I went to work for Congressman Price, uh, I started to get really interested in kind of healthcare policy, thought about going back and getting my master's in public health, um, eventually decided on not doing that. But just, uh, you know, I think um, one of the things that I really saw when I worked in constituent services, I did specifically constituent services and Social Security disability and Medicare were the two areas that um, that I was the liaison for. And so I saw just a ton of need in, in the constituents that we were serving and, um, and help that they needed in accessing health care or accessing disability benefits. And um, I, I will never forget one individual um, was trying to get approved for his social security disability and really needed to move to South Carolina to live with his sister, mm. but couldn't do that until he got approved disability insurance and he had ALS and Mm. um, and really needed a lot of support and so thankfully we were able to get him what he needed but I just my eyes were really open to the needs uh, especially around health care and um, when I left the congressman's office, I went into work in nonprofits and I ended up working at um, Duke Children's Hospital. I was a fundraiser there, so um, I wasn't working directly in the, in the healthcare space. And then eventually went to work at Tammy Lynn Center for Developmental Disabilities. And I did that work for about four and a half years before I left and worked at the intersection of social services and community colleges. So really helping uh, college students connect with benefits and resources, things like food, food, sports, all, all social determinants of health. I helped them connect to resources that would help them meet those so that they could do things like stay in school. And then eventually um, in 2020, I came back to serve as CEO at Tammy Lynn Center, now known as TLC. It really has been all of those experiences that Um, that have opened my eyes, like I said, to uh, the needs of the community. And I've just been fortunate to work in organizations where I got to learn a lot about not the needs, but also what the solutions could be.
0: I want to back up a little bit to your time in Congressman Price's office. I understand that you met your husband at a kickball game. He was in Congressman Miller's office, Brad Miller, is that right?
2: Yeah, Congressman Miller was still a wannabe at that point. He I'll, had not been elected yet. He had not been elected <laughs> <laughs> to All right. Congress.
0: Can you tell us about this kickball game and and what set you off with Dan here?
2: So I we there was a young Democrats kickball okay, tournament okay. and we were raising money for young Democrats. I guess it was okay. Young Democrats of Wake County. And Judge Jim Fulwood was the. He was the announcer, okay. so he was there at our first meeting, and I was on one team, and Dan was on the other team, and so I was representing representing uh, David Price's office, and then all of the campaign people from Brad Miller's campaign came as well, and you know it was a young group of folks helping helping this young guy get elected to Congress, and uh, and so we met. It's really interesting because I think. As part of what we were doing with the kickball tournament, I think my parents came and did a flyball demonstration. <laughs> She's circle. like, "I
1: will make everything come back to flyball."
0: <laughs>
2: it's really yeah. So um, anyway, this is gonna be the strangest podcast. Uh, this is be great. Um, so so um, my parents were there and they took pictures, and uh, I'm t- like, I'm generally terrible at sports like anything hand-eye coordination. I was in the marching band, okay. so I can do that okay. But like kicking a ball, getting it to go where I wanted to go, throwing a ball, getting mm-hmm. it to where I want to go, uh, it's kind of challenging for me. So I don't know why, and Dan's very athletic. Right. I don't know why he was like, oh yeah, she's, she's the one. <laughs> right. um, I had, as Dan likes to say it, I had some baggage at the time, um, a boyfriend. Oh, yeah. And uh, we didn't break up for, it was almost a year later. And so Dan did nothing mm. for a year. We, you know, our paths crossed several times. Uh, it wasn't until I think we were either, um, we might have been married at the time. My mom found those pictures and there's pictures of us mm-hmm. like together. It's, re- it's really funny because, uh, you know, like I've met all the Brad Miller people, but I, it wasn't like, I have, yeah, I have a boyfriend. Right. But anyway, so, uh, so I broke up with the boyfriend and then... Um, Somebody in our, in David Price's office was helping uh, Brad's office get set up and going with their constituent services. And she came, it was so like high school. She came to work one day, she goes, I know somebody who likes you. Oh. And so, uh, so, yeah, so we, um, we had a lunch date and then our first official date, I had just gotten a new puppy and we went to a fly ball tournament. <laughs> I don't even know if it's serious at this point it's true it's a true story well, and i didn't i didn't think it was a date. i didn't know it was a date um we went to lunch and i had just gotten this puppy and i knew dan, dan was like oh, i love dogs and he really wanted yeah, a dog, great right? i have 12 <laughs> right the relay team <laughs> the relay team and, them. and and uh i said oh well, there's this fly ball tournament this weekend if you want to come and like, yeah, and then um, I think Friday, he AOL messaged me because that's what she okay. did in those days, uh, instant messenger. He IM'd me, and he said, what time should I pick you up on Saturday? And I thought, you're picking me up for a fly ball tournament? Because <laughs> I, I, I didn't know it was a date. And so he picked me up, we went to the flyball tournament, and he met my parents, I guess, again. I guess he mm-hmm. met them the first time at the kickball mm-hmm. tournament. And then, then that was it. We were engaged like six months later. Wow.
0: Yeah. So you said you didn't grow up in a overly political family. You were aware of politics, but I imagine your household, with Dan being involved in politics, and of course, you're a state senator. How do you turn it off at home? Or do you even turn it off?
2: Um, so we have kids and groceries and bills to pay. <laughs> right. So, you know, we're like we're like everybody else. Yeah. And, you know, people, people do say, they're like, oh, I bet you talk about politics all the time. Like no, because we had like kids to pick up, and we have stuff to it, mean, laundry that has to be done. Uh, so, yeah, we we're pretty good about turning it off. Uh, you know, it's it is interesting now that I'm in the state senate. Um, there are a lot of things that, uh, we can talk about and it's kind of nice cause I don't have to explain, mm-hmm. you know, like you have to do with your partner sometimes mm-hmm. you come home and have to explain the, and you're like, Oh, it's just easier if I don't right. explain it. So, so that's really nice. And, and we do, you know, we talk about politics probably more than the average family and our, our kids certainly know more about politics than a lot of kids, a lot of their peers in class. But, um, but yeah, we're, we're like everybody else.
1: What do you think you'll miss most about the Senate?
2: Probably a couple of things. One, um, I've heard the House is a little bit more raucous than mm-hmm. the yeah. Senate. So I'm probably going to, there's going to be times when I probably miss how quickly we move through things in the Senate. Mm-hmm. I have really enjoyed just how efficient it is uh, most of the time um, in terms of moving things on the floor and not everybody has to speak words. That's, that's nice. So, um, so there will probably be times where I get a little frustrated uh, in the house on, on that. But it took me like the long session to really figure out what I was doing, Hmm. Uh, you know, in terms of, um, you know, who's, who's who, who can help me get things done, how to really get things moved um, in an effective way. And so, you know, I feel like moving into this now that we're in short session, I'm like, oh, I know how to do this. And I know how to, how to get things done and I know who to call. And, and so, you know, I just feel like now I'm just now getting to know my colleagues in a, in a much better way. And also last year was, we were still kind of in COVID times. And so there weren't as many receptions as there are now. So I just feel like I'm getting to know my colleagues now. And and so I'm going to miss some of those relationships, but hopefully, since whatever I move in the house, I'll have to get it moved in the Senate too. There will still be a lot of opportunity to work together.
1: Our politics are incredibly divided. If you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing, what would it be?
2: You know, I I don't have anything as creative as maybe some of the things that have been said on the show before, but you know, I I do think a huge problem in politics is the money in -hmm. politics, which, you know, I'm married to somebody who spends a lot of money in politics. That might feel like a weird thing to say, but, But I do think you know where where you really make the difference in elections is meeting with the people and I feel like with all the money that's spent in politics we sometimes lose that real campaigning that Mm -hmm. needs to happen where people really get to know each other and understand what folks are going through and get to know their representative and so you know, if if I could fix one thing, it would really be um, the money in politics. The other thing I would say is just more opportunity to have better dialogue on some of the divisive issues. Ninety percent—I don't know the exact number—but a lot of the work we do is consensus legislation, right? But it's, you know, it's on various issues, and we and and that's all fine and well, and we can tout that number. But on anything divisive, whether it's guns, though we had some good, good news out of Washington uh, just this week, or abortion, or, uh, you know, gosh, a number of issues, public schools even. It, it's just hard to sit down and have a real conversation and try to meet in the middle. And I think, you know, I do think to a person, we're all willing to do that. But But because things are so polarized, sometimes it feels really hard to make those conversations happen.
0: Well, Senator Sarah Crawford, we appreciate everything you do for your district, everything you do in the General Assembly. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today.
2: Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here.
1: The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. This interview was really interesting because she really led with being on David Letterman and then Everything kept coming back to flyball, and what you don't know is that after the interview wrapped, we even watched a YouTube video so we could understand how the game worked for dogs. And I have brought it up to multiple people since. So, if you are interested, talk to Senator Crawford about flyball.
0: We'll put a link to that YouTube video in the show notes, and you can learn all about flyball tweet of the week.
1: week this week's tweet of the week is from colin campbell he's at raleigh reporter this was on friday so we recorded on thursday so technically it's still a tweet of the week at jim perry
0: (laughs) <laughs> and Mike Woodard, who tried to give us a year-old tweet. Two years old. Two years yeah. old.
1: Collins' tweet said, In true NCGA fashion, the Senate ended its short session and went home three hours ago, but the House is still debating things. And then Senator Joyce Kravick responded and said, The House might learn eventually, with the shrugging emoji. And it's, there's a little gift that says, work smarter, not harder. <laughs> And that is a hallmark of the General Assembly. The Senate, concise, short, get in, get out. The House, long-winded, sort of goes by the saying, maybe everything has been said, but not everyone has said it.
0: Sky, I miss the days of the signy die adjournment they open up those big brass doors. oh how long have you been lobbying i don't know 22 years oh okay yeah the senate opens up their doors the house opens up their doors they ring the bell drop, drop the, the handkerchief, handkerchief. Yeah. sometimes it happens at three in the morning sometimes it happens at three in the afternoon but it's just a great moment we Very rare do we get those signy die adjournment resolutions.
1: Another thing I do have to say is that a couple people on Friday were wearing purple.
0: In honor of Representative Larry Womble. He's now deceased. He was a great legislator. But he would wear these loud suits. I think the speaker asked him one day about his suit. And he said, Mr. Speaker, this is my going home suit. All right, so we're here at Carolina Beach. Your family is like the block over not i actually we're on the same block we are on the same block <laughs> julie's over here cross stitching while we record the podcast dog sleeping how's your week been
1: been good you know what i was telling you today it's thursday i'm like more of a 4 day vacation person i've read 5 books i what what
0: You read five books? Yeah.
1: I have gone on long walks. The creepiest thing ever happened to me today when I was on a long walk passing Brian's house and Brian comes outside at the exact moment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was weird. So when you come off a session like this and you're hanging out at the beach with your parents, do they have any curiosity about what's going on here in North Carolina? Does your mom follow it? I know your dad's not really political. No, this
1: is the thing. I like talking about it and they do not care. Right. I mean, they're like the average North Carolinian or the average whatever state citizen. They just don't care. They
0: follow follow more federal stuff.
1: Yeah. Whatever's on the news, I think, is what they know. And they know some things that are going on in Illinois, but, you know, they can't be bothered about the intricacies that I complain about. Like on Friday, I came out of session. I was really down about a certain bill and same so you know i came in deflated and it's the worst feeling you know like you just don't want to talk to anybody and then my parents are here who i made uber to my house and you have to be like hey guys Uh yeah (laughs) so great to see you meanwhile i'm like i have like two hours of work left i need to do my mom needed to run somewhere i'm like take my keys like i've gotta i've gotta work
0: Yeah, I have that, too. I wonder if uh, other lobbyists do a better job of like punching out at work and then showing up, you know, the week of Fourth of July, you know, ready to rock and roll. But Julie and I've had those conversations, too, like the last few days were were very challenging. We had some great success last week, but you don't tend to carry those when there are things that are still out there that you're working on. It it gets to you. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I just sent you into a funk <laughs> <laughs> Since
1: we're out of session, so Brian does this thing where people are like, Oh, your sleeping habits are bad, Brian, and and he loves to say that his diet is bad when they're in session and he's gonna be better when they're out of session. So tell everyone, what are the things that you're going to do differently? Because I know you've probably got some dumb diet plan in place. (laughs) You've probably got some schedule where you're going to do 100 crunches every day or something like that. So just tell me, enlighten me. I want to hear what it is this time. Just so I'm mentally prepared for your raw diet, your juice cleanse whatever it is just tell
0: me thank you for asking sky yeah. i appreciate
1: it <laughs> i'm I, really interested in a, your life
0: yeah this is an opportunity for you to for me to share with everyone my plan post session and i have been keeping to this since we let out i've been going to bed early which has helped me wake up early number two i have not gone out to eat since we adjourned session
1: what is your guilty pleasure during session
0: Missing workouts is kind of a guilty pleasure. Like, when we're in session, I feel like, okay, I've got to be there at a certain time. I know I would be better if I went for a run, but then I'm like, well, I can't be sweating by the time I get to the General Assembly and all this. And so I talk myself out of it. Plus, I, I say, you, you need an extra 30 minutes of sleep. So sleeping in to the last minute before I need to get up, shower, get dressed, and head to the building, those are guilty pleasures. Been working out every day. I've surfed every day since we got here. Uh, I took a walk on the beach this morning as well to, cause I, the surf didn't really look good today. And it wasn't good, so it's like I'm not. I don't think I'm gonna get a good workout surfing. So I took a walk. Getting on the schedule to me is key to health and losing weight, and also my mental health.
1: So you're not doing any of these crazy things where you're like, every hour, on the hour, I'm doing 20 no. push-ups that aren't even correct form push-ups. You know, no. that sort of thing. We're not doing that again.
0: No, we're not. And I'll tell you, well, I am I am working out. So working out is is a good thing. But you know what COVID taught me? Because I was on such a rigid schedule during COVID, wasn't going out, could not. That eat. you had an eating disorder. I <laughs> probably have an eating disorder. <laughs> But if I can get to a schedule, that is the key. I'm are you tr-
1: cutting out your Coca Cola's?
0: I've been drinking one seven and a half ounce Coca Cola mid morning after my morning workout. Are there changes to your lifestyle?
1: Not really.
0: Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, we've said this before, we share our workouts on our watches. By the way, my surfing workouts are not showing up because there is no surfing app on your watch.
1: Well you could just do the open.
0: But I, I wake up to I wake up to my alarm. I wake up to the insider. I also wake up to a cascade of <laughs> notifications telling me all the workouts you've done. You were the
1: one who wanted to add me to keep yourself accountable.
0: Yeah. Well all it does is just Completely make me feel so unworthy. I mean, you've completed. Good. I
1: love that feeling. <laughs>
0: you you have completed three workouts, and I get notification every time you get an award from your <laughs> Apple I Watch. Sky's won another award for being amazing. Uh, she's done twenty seven workouts this week. Hit all her goals for this month, last month, and next month too. It, it's not good for my self-esteem well
1: then take so- me off of there my your insecurities are not my problem
0: yeah like i'm sitting here the other night i'm watching, watching television we're hanging out i'm eating some popcorn i get like two notifications Scott just completed a bike ride
1: <laughs> well you know so in raleigh i every day at 5 30 i go on a walk And then I do my workout. I know
0: all this.
1: (laughs) And then I walk to the office of the General Assembly. Mm -hmm. So by like, you know, 8.30 I've gone five or six miles. And, but here I haven't been doing the same. And at night after dinner, I like to go on a walk around my neighborhood, but here we've been going on bike rides after dinner, so (laughs) I'm very flexible too. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the podcast on this off week. We're all coming down off of that legislative high, and we know that you're taking some time to relax, hopefully. Let us know if you'd like us to talk about something. We are happy to tackle some different topics now that we're in the sort of off session. We will talk to you again next Friday, but until then, please remember to do politics better.